Michael, it's your first time on the podcast. Delighted to have you on. Um, what's what's happening? How's your day going? I'm not too bad. Thanks for having me on. Uh, nice to be asked. I've seen you got uh, Paul Thompson on a way to go. I was a wee bit annoyed you asked him first, but <laughs> he he doesn't have a clue about football. But sure, I'm not worried about that. He's going to be annoyed at me now because I've asked you for <laughs> I've asked you for this topic and not him. <laughs> sure. No, yeah, going okay. Um, just usual Sunday dinner. Spent a bit of time with the kids watching a bit of football. Well, I've titled this one Captain Talk, and you actually did pop into my head because obviously at, at local level with with Ida McGee and at local level, you're, you're obviously you've helped manage the team. You've also obviously also captained the team. Yeah. What does, it, what does it mean for you in terms of actually being a captain, and how, how, do you feel a bit of extra responsibility? Me personally, I never, no, I don't never really found extra responsibility. I think it's just, I don't think it needs to be, you need to have the armband to be a captain, personally. Do I think it could come, you could have 11 captains in the picture, obviously, but obviously the, the, the proper captains, the true captains are real leaders on and off the pitch. Not necessarily at our level, but in, obviously in the professional game. Yeah. And the likes of obviously your Roy Keynes and your Steven Gerrards and your Vieiras of times going past, like, they're proper leaders, you know, proper captains. Um, but lo- locally, wise myself, I was, and it's probably an honour, and you're especially when you're playing with a team of friends, and you're captain them, and it's even better to be successful. So um, it, it meant a lot to me personally, and obviously, it's always nice to be a captain of a title winning save. And Michael, you mentioned a couple of things there about about being a captain. You mentioned a couple, like a name who I want to talk about, someone who is probably a bit synonymous with you and your love and support for Man United was Roy Keane. And then you mentioned being successful and even at the local level, how much it meant for you to be successful as a captain. Oh, I. But but moving on to the professional level and Roy Keane, he was one of my favourite players growing up in terms of, I just loved how he played football and the heart, oh. the desire, the hunger. But from, from your perspective, in terms of supporting Man United and where I really want to go with this is, I always feel it's important, like the successful teams always have a leader. Oh, now, I, as you as you said, that might not be a leader that just wears the armband. There might be two, three, four leaders in a squad or whatever. But yeah. usually, you know, you look at Man City with company, and all of a sudden, company departs and they're miles off the pace, it's and they just look it's completely. They look lost. Yeah. Um. But Roy Keane, Man United. Um. You've had you've obviously had a a brilliant time supporting Man United your whole life, and as football changes and times grow on, things things do change. But you had Roy Keane, you had Vidic, you've had a great number of players who have been captains with and without the armband. Any thoughts sort of on, on Man United's success and how it maybe, uh, bo- not, maybe not boils down to, but how uh, a leader and a captain maybe helps helps with that? Yeah, well, I've grown up, obviously, as a, as a Man United fan. Um, as a Man United fan growing up, Roy Keane has always been my hero. Football ways, um, just absolutely loved him. Still, 
I'll argue that I'm blue in the face <laughs> to this day. There's no one, there's no better midfielder in the Premier League era for me. Um, you listen to any programme or any ex-players talking, they're picking their best 11. Their first name, the team sheets, Roy Keane, over Scholes, over Giggs, over Ronaldo, over Rooney. Like, I was listening to a Giggs one especially, straight away. Like, I had a thought he went with Scholes, being his, obviously, close friends. Straight away, first name down, Roy Keane. You know, it's just, watched him growing up. Obviously, I was a massive football fan. It's like, eat, sleep, drink football. My wife goes mental all the time with it, but <laughs> it's just these complete, different level for me. They don't make people like that. They don't make players like that anymore. Yeah. And I think him, he was a proper, as you, if you want to say a captain and a leader, for me, he was a proper one because he made players around him better, in my opinion. Do you know, the standards didn't, he never let the standards drop for one minute. And that was obviously a detriment actually his downfall in the end. But the bit of the, if you read the end of the story, the bit of the fallout with yeah. Ferguson was because he, he basically called, called people out and the younger ones and uh, Ferguson didn't really like it. But I went to watch him, an audience with him live in the waterfront last year. Yeah. And it was last year, last year. And honestly, I, I was there for two, two and a half hours, I think it was. I sat there for 22 and a half hours and listened to him. Yeah. Just telling about stuff. And it's just, is well to win. And it's just, even listening to him, he's retired 10 years or whatever. Yeah. Even listening to him, sitting there in a nice suit, talking to a crowd of three, 4,000 people. You could, you could just, you know, you could, you'd actually just want to play for somebody like that, let alone your own manager. Yeah. He's just absolutely ridiculous. And to say to be fair, I don't think he got enough credit for how actually good a football he was. I agree. I agree 100% so, with you there. When he, when he first came to United, he was in a, like a young, he was an attacking midfielder. He scored a lot of, a lot of goals. And I remember him scoring two away to Arsenal. He scored, I remember him scoring the winner against Man City at Main Road years and years. That's how old I am, by the way. Years and years ago. Just coming at the back post, like a driving run from midfield that you expect, like as you expect your Gerard Lampard, just being an attacking midfielder to do. Yeah, but he was doing it week. Like he was absolutely fantastic. Very early, gave the ball away, and he wasn't safe. It was always gets the ball. He's always looking to go forward. Yeah. So I think he doesn't get enough credit for how actually good a talented natural football he was, as well as being a huge leader for the club. Well, it's interesting but, as, you, as as you say that because you look at footballers now, and you sort of a lot of teams play with three in midfield or whatever, and you've you sort of you've one tackler, one ball player, one box to box. He could do anything. He, you know, he was an all rounder. He was the same. He could do it all. He could, you see, he could sit in front of the back four. So he even played centre half in it loads of times. He used to fill in at centre half. So he could sit in front of the back four. He could get forward, score goals, or he could dictate a game as well. Whether it be with a few crunching tackles or a couple of nice passes, he was just. I, for me personally, he's a, my my favourite player of all time, and he's my favourite Man United player, obviously, of all time. But he's. Honestly, any world or team eleven, he would be in my team. And yeah. Maybe maybe better be a bit fast, but you put somebody in, you put Roy Keane in your eleven, and you have a chance of winning. In my yeah. opinion. Well, I mean, it's it's even you talked about the standards, and I want to come back to that. This and not letting the standards drop. And I remember, it must have been two two years ago now, and I think it was it was Man City, Man United, and there was a one of City's goals towards the end. Gary Neville and Roy were both on Sky and doing their sort of analysis of the game. And Gary Neville, it was really late on, said he got a third. 
And Gary Neville said, it is what it is. United, the fullback is tired and all this. But Roy Keane was furious about it. He was like, no, you've got to close the man down. 90th minute, first minute. You know, even in that level, I was interested when Gary was sort of trying to go, he gets tired. But then you sort of seeing maybe the mentality that he maybe had in the change room. He was like, no, I don't accept that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I see. I remember watching the same match. They beat us 3-1 at Old Trafford. I think it was Old Trafford, was it? I think think so. I think it was at Old Trafford, yeah. And he did. I remember him saying, Oh, I know myself as a fullback, and you're marking somebody all day, they're quick, and uh, you do get tired, and you're like, Ugh, you know, 3 1. And like, that's the, for me, that's the difference. Roy Keane's in that man team, that goal doesn't that that goal doesn't happen because he wouldn't let them players not say, not say give up. Maybe, I mean, that's a bit of a strong word. I don't think any footballer would give up. I'd be very surprised if it did, but he just wouldn't let it happen. Yeah. You know, he just. He's just his mentality was just from day one. Even when he went, even when he went to Forest early on as a kid, I watched loads of programs on him all the time. And even from day one, he'd gone to Forest. You see, even then, he was looking beyond Forest as such. If that made sense, yeah, of where he wanted to be. Also interesting to you about. I listened to a documentary, not so much documentary, sorry, an interview with Phil Neville um, earlier this week. For it must be about an hour and ten minutes, and he was talking about his move from United to Everton. And he was talking about Roy Keane in the change room at Old Trafford. And he says a lot of the time, Roy wouldn't say anything. He would just come in and his presence, his actions, how he would warm up, how he would train, how he would work at 100% every day in every game. He was like, lads, we're playing for Man United. And when he went to Everton, he said he tried to do the same thing. And he actually got a bit of abuse for it for some of the boys in the change room about being manager's pet about warming up early about and he said what he was trying to do was try and change the mentality a little bit but without saying anything and i just thought it was interesting when you see the difference but maybe between two clubs and two cultures and two changing rooms that's that's why united have been successful for 25 years and everton no disrespect to everton are a big club but you know they're a big club probably within their own city not necessarily Neville's obviously going there come the end of his career but obviously still wanted to set proper standards and then obviously as you say the players are sort of used to call them teacher's pet or whatnot but yeah as I, I, I'll i be honest I'm the same like I do it myself many times I lose a, lose a head in training with people and I tr- personally I always find you, how you train during the week is how you it helps how you perform on a Saturday yeah or a Sunday say professional football doesn't matter if you're in Monday morning first thing and you're tired or it's Friday afternoon and you're playing your 4v4s, your 5v5 drills for a bit of crack. You know, I remember watching a programme in King. Players always like, as they were saying, it didn't matter, if, as I said, coming in the Monday morning if you were tired or if it was your Friday afternoon, five-a-side games, a bit of crack. He wanted to win. He didn't care. He was pushing people on and he used to crack up when his team didn't win in training and that's just, as you said, setting standards and setting examples that other players need to follow. You yeah. know, that's, that's the difference between, it's, it's that difference of, that, maybe that 5% difference yeah. of winning the league and like, look at Liverpool two years ago, what is it, 98 points of them and lost the league. Yeah. You know, having a Roy Keane in there or a City done, having a Vincent company in there, ekes out that extra two to three points at one in the league. Yeah. You know, um, for me, that's a bit, for me, that's a big difference. Yeah, and as you said, there. Let's like 
It's really the difference, really, as as we as you just mentioned, from winning and losing, and from winning the league and maybe being second. Because look at company and the one they'll win at Leicester, which which he scored the winner, and it probably ended up winning them the league, really. No, it, uh, did. it did. That that that, that that three points. But if we look at Man United now. I wanted to get your thoughts on United yes. as a team now and Harry Maguire and will he, long, um, will, will he grow in? <laughs> will he grow into this, this? Will he grow <laughs> into podcast? <laughs> will he grow into having the armband? Do you think it's a time thing or what I sort of your thoughts? He seems well when he came in and obviously Solskjaer gave him the armband. Obviously the players must have respected him straight away. They've obviously respected him, or he's not going to give him. The coaching staff's obviously respected him. They must like obviously like the way he spoke or the way the way he carries himself. Then when you listen to any Leicester players talking about him, they all can't speak highly enough of him. So he must be, you know, he must be a good figure around the dressing room. Who who would you give the armband to? Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. I get people say to have, but I don't to have probably, but I don't agree with giving the keepers. They're not on the pitch as such like the rest of them. They're not at field to try and, you know, organise and pull people in and grab people's scruff and neck and try and take the game forward. So I never agreed with the goalkeeper being captain of the side. Not saying it's a bad thing, it's just my personal opinion. But there probably isn't isn't anyone. I see to be fair, <laughs> it's gonna sound probably sound really silly. See if I was I would probably give it the likes of Fernandez or someone who doesn't necessarily have to go and speak and put call people out or shout at them or do whatever, but just by what he does on the pitch, by making things happen and players look to him to do stuff. So surely, you know, it wouldn't is it a bad thing maybe giving them the armband or you can see him at Man City. They give it to Silva. Yeah. And now they've given it to De Bruyne. Now if you're going to the Man City team, if you're not going to first person you would pick out, oh we're going to go to De Bruyne. He looks like a captain. He doesn't. But he, he leads by example on the pitch by making things happen for their team. Talking about Man United, I just don't think, <laughs> I don't think the problems of the players, I've argued with people left right and sent their own all social media platforms with it. I don't agree with the management. I don't think he's the right man for the job. He's only there because for me, he's a cheap option and he's a yes man for the Glazers and because of was standing at the club. But like yesterday's game alone, I watched it, was pulling my hair out. I was just like, like it's mine going to Brighton and you're yeah. even last week I know people say but oh Man United this Man United that but being realistic about being disrespectful to teams we're Man United why are we playing two golden midfielders at home to Crystal Palace yeah do you know at, <laughs> do you know what I mean that's for me it's if that's Ferguson in charge or if that's Roy Keane your team United you just played 4-4-2 and went to attack teams didn't worry what they were doing but yeah. it's got this stage now where we are dropped so far where it's we're nearly planning our team around what the other teams do. I remember watching the programme and I think it was Gary Neville, he, he was captain at the stage and they were saying about my night were playing Spurs and Sir Alex came in the, the dressing room, didn't give a team talk, just put it, I think he said he put it, just wrote it on a whiteboard, I'm not too sure, I could be wrong, but I think either he wrote it or he just said it to him and says, lads at Spurs, just go out there and beat them. At Spurs, they'll do what Spurs do. <laughs> You know, and that's no disrespect to Spurs fans or Spurs as a club. It just shows the difference in mentality of winners and leaders in your dressing room. Yeah. Whereas, you know what? We're minding it. Look at the, look at the dressing room. Look at the leaders. Look at the the players. Let teams worry about us. 
And I think, like, you look at United's players, you look at United's so-called front five, I would argue there's not many better in the league. Fernandez, Pogba, Martial, Greenwood, Rashford. That's as good as it gets for me, personally, attack-wise. But it's just, I don't know what it is. For me, it has to be bad, it has to be bad coaching. Like, it's... They seem to be scared. Like their front three should be moving all around the place and interchanging and whatnot. They don't. They're yeah. just so rented. They're easy to play against. Like I could go and get a manager out of League One or League Two, and they and they could go and set up to play Man United, no problem. Yeah, well, we've seen this week the League Cup, wasn't it one nil? Or it was ended yeah, up three nil until the last sort of couple of minutes. Yeah, but I mean, it was one nil to what the eighty-fifth minute or so. Like, I know we changed nine players or something, but you still have Mata in the pits. You still. I know I don't, I'm not a fan, but you're still Lingard, you're still a Galliver, all internationals, you know, they're all international footballers. And they're all, they couldn't break down Luton, took a penalty, 44th minute. And until they brought Rashford, Marshall, or Rashford, Greenwood and Fernandez on, they, they created about five chances in 10 minutes. Yeah. So, you know, it's just, and again, that goes, you go back to the, the topic about being captain and being leaders. There's, there's no standards. For me, there's no standards being set by leaders in the dressing room. That's where, if we want McGuire to be a leader, be a captain, he has to be, he has to be setting, calling people out in the dressing room and setting standards. But when he's making mistakes himself constantly, him and Lindelof, it's hard then for him. For me, he can't even go and call other people out if he's constantly making mistakes himself. Do you know what I mean? That way? Yeah. It, it's interesting. I want to go way back to one of your points. You talked about Fernandez, and when he first sort of joined the club, it must have been about three or four games in, he'd done an interview, and it was around the time where Pogba was starting to get back to fitness. And they said to him, are you excited about playing with Pogba? And he responded and he said, I'm at Manchester United, whether I play with Pogba, Fred, Lingard, Rashford, and he named about six players. Yeah. He goes, I'm playing at Man United, so we as exactly. a team... We will play the way that Man United should play and we'll try to attack and try to move forward. And that, just his interview, I thought that's the markings of someone who actually has, has accepted what the club's actually supposed to be about. percent. That's what that's what gets me the most. That's what I was saying. That was, again, brought to my point. I remember watching the interview myself. I think, I think it was, was it against Wolves, possibly? I can't Where remember. Scored. I just remember it was after I a game. Possibly scored, I think he's possibly scored later on. Shockingly, I think it was a penalty. Shockingly. <laughs> um, against Wolves, I think it was against Wolves. I remember listening to it, and just and I just sit and watch and thinking, he gets what he he gets it. He's only in the club two months and he gets it. Yeah, there's player United for ten years, and you know they're too busy with their making up new dances or you know getting their social media followers up. Or I could talk about mine all day. <laughs> Just get myself annoyed. <laughs> well, I mean, it's something that we'll be, we'll be doing going forward. I'll be doing little sort of football podcasts throughout the year, and I'm, I'll certainly be having you back about Man United. But Michael, yeah. just to, just to finish off, I want really to round off and really what we first started talking about: the effect of having a leader in the team in terms of that extra Massive. that extra five percent. You look, you go, Man City of the last ten years company. Look at the, look at them the last year or so. Haven't been the same. Roy Keane from that haven't been the same. Liverpool now have just started to get back to them, but people say about Henderson being this. I think Henderson's a terrible footballer. I'll argue till the cows come home, but he seems to be he seems to be a good leader. The players seem to respect him, so you can't knock him that. I know that kind of thing. 
Chelsea, look at Chelsea. Yeah. John Terry left. There's no leaders. Where's their leaders now? They've gave Thiago Silva the armband last night. Yeah. Do you know where's where's Chelsea's leaders? They don't have any. Where's Spurs leaders? They don't have any. Again, the as I sound about keepers being captain. You look at the the main team, which as well you know the pains me it's said Liverpool are winning, <laughs> winning things look like winning like probably the league this year again. Henderson has been a leader for them, not necessarily yeah. with his football ability, but he seems to do. They seem, as I said, they seem to respect them on and off the pitch. Every other team is struggling. Arsenal, yeah, no leader whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. Do you know. It's 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 not it's not rocket science to work it out. It's a common theme. It, it yeah. happens to all the teams. Lack of leaders, like even just go back to Liverpool again. Van Dijk leader. Do you know? Yeah. Salah and Mane aren't captains, but the two things on the pitch. The the lead by going scoring goals and going setting up things and do you know they make things happen. So as as I said earlier at the start, you don't always have to be a captain. By pulling people out and shouting at them, and you know, walking about and shouting and balling, you can be yeah. a captain and leader by just doing things on the pitch that then gets the rest of your team going or proves a wee bit of magic, and it just gives your team that extra five percent that lift. You know, yeah. it's just it's massive in my opinion, and you've seen over the, you've seen it yourself, yeah. Darren, over the years watching uh, all the football, you you go back to the Premier League years from '92, whatever it is to now. Yeah, you look at all the, all the successful teams; they don't just have one captain. They've two, three, four leaders all around their all around their team, and it's massive. For me, it's an extra ten points a season. They say about a good goalkeeper gets you 10, 15 points. It Schmeichel three years when you need it, games after games. Yeah, Allison done it with Liverpool last couple of seasons as well. Do you know Peter Cech done it for years? Even David Seaman, to a certain extent, when you go way back, done it for years. Yeah, captains are just the same, or just as better. They, they they get that extra six, seven, eight points. That could be the difference come the end of the season. I agree, and it's something that even if we go closer to home as well in the local league and the Irish league, with, oh, with yeah. Crusaders' my team letting Colin Coates go yeah. in January, for me, there's a worry there about the experience, the leadership, the presence. Exactly. You look at Linfield for years. Winky, Winky Murphy, and Noel Bailey. Yeah. Two captains, they won everything going. Leaders. You even go to. You're saying about Crusaders, they've lost Coatsy. Who's the real leader now, realistically? Yeah. Sean O'Neill was a net for a while, now he's not, he can't get in the team. He seemed to be a bit of a leader, a bit of a character, and you know, yeah. but the players yeah. sort of responded to him. Who's the real leaders in the Crusaders team now, realistically? Yeah, you I know, know, it's it's the worry, isn't it? You know, for me, well, yeah. not so much for you as a Glen Torn fan, but for me yeah. as, a, as a Crusaders well, fan, that's sort of where my sort of concern is. You know, I, th- I still look yeah. on paper and our 11, our, be- our best 11, a couple of decent subs and stuff coming on, I feel okay. But in terms of a you presence... Three I'm sure, yeah. You've no, you've, no, you've no leader. I'm friends with Billy Joe, and Billy Joe's probably, is, for me, is a crew's best player. He's probably one of the best there's been over the last 10, 12 years in the league. But Billy Joe wouldn't be a leader. Like, you ask yourself, he wouldn't be a captain. You know, it's you around the Crusaders dressing room now, you're struggling to get one. Where again, Irish League, look at when they were winning things, Coatsy was there, Clemville were winning things. You know, yeah. Georgie McMullen was a, a big leader for them. Yeah, the Glens a few years ago, they had you know, they had your Paul Lehman, your Chris Walkers, your Guy Smiths, all, all big, you know, yeah. all big leaders. Yeah. It, it makes a massive, massive difference in my, in my, my humble opinion, anyway, definitely. Yeah, mate, well, I, I agree with you, and um, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your Sunday away from the kids there for about 15, no 20 minutes to, to chat, no so I'm sure we'll do it again sometime, mate, and I yes, uh, no appreciate problem. you Thanks coming on.
I'm joined by Kenny Wheeler. Kenny is a lifelong Liverpool fan. I'm delighted to welcome him onto the show. Kenny, tell me a bit about yourself. Tell me about your website. Tell me about your Twitter. Where can people find you? Uh, first of all, Dan, thanks for having me on. Uh, much appreciated. Um, I'm, as you said, I'm Kenny Wheeler. I'm the editor-in-chief of The Libero. Uh, we're a football blogging website. We also run a, a, a live Sunday show, which I just got off uh, this, this afternoon. Primarily, we look at investigative journalism in football, um, some just interesting stuff. And yeah, as you said, I'm a lifelong Liverpool fan. Um, I go home, away and abroad whenever I can. Um, so yeah, just enjoy writing about football and talking about football. And your your website then, it's thelibrero.co.uk, am I right? Yes, it is. Yep, www.thelibrero.co.uk. And you can find us uh, on Twitter at the Libero Online as well. Well, Kenny, I want to pick your brain first of all um, about captaincy and leadership in football. I had a Manchester United fan on today and he was sort of saying that from maybe Roy Keane, Roy Keane was his idol growing up and it epitomised everything he loves in a player and loves in a captain and that will to win. But he had great things to say, he said begrudgingly, about Liverpool and where they are now. <laughs> but looking back at Liverpool, you know, they've had some amazing captains over the years. Steven Gerrard and maybe for my generation of Liverpool, Steven Gerrard is the one that, that sticks out for me. In terms of the captaincy of Liverpool, any memories or anything that sticks out for you about the leader and the captain of, of that of that club? Um, yeah, I mean, I would say, I mean, I'm 33 years old um, this year, so my my my, my earliest memories of, of captaincy is is probably uh, Sammy Hippier back in the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, then obviously into, into Stevie G, who was captain for for many many years. And then now, obviously, into Jordan Henderson, who who's taken over the mantle. Um, all three were, were different in their own unique way, but obviously, for me, it's got to be Steven Gerrard, um, local boy, done goods, um, who who won almost everything there is to win in the, in the game with the club. Obviously, Premier League title eluded him, um, but you know we'll always have that night in Istanbul. And yes. The, uh, the FA Cup final in 2006 when you know not many players get an FA Cup final named after them yeah um, which is probably one of one of the most complete performances I've seen from a, a player ever um, Beckham against Greece maybe a size and not only that one with Gerard like obviously we you, you mentioned Istanbul and you mentioned that final whenever I think of Stevie G I, I do think of big moments and big goals and one of the ones that I can never get away from when I think of Steven Gerrard is the Libby goal you know, at the last stages of that group in 2005, and I think you were actually going out, or you were finishing third at that point before he before he hit that. Am I right? Yeah. So we that was the last game of the group stages, and we had to beat Olympiacos by two goals, yeah, or more. Right. And I think they they actually went one 0 up in that game. Uh, Rivaldo scored, yeah, uh, free kick at the cop end. Um, and yeah, we we hit back. We won one 0 down at half time, and we uh, hit back goals from I think it was Neil Meller. And Simba Pongal scored, and then yeah, Gerard with the uh, Andy Gray, very famous <laughs> hits and commentary. Um, and yeah, he he was always there for big games. He he, he would never let you down. Well, very rarely let you down as a as a. Yeah, and and speaking of the captaincy in terms of of Liverpool, you know Liverpool, one of the 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 biggest clubs in the world, amazing 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 history in terms of Liverpool as a club as a whole, and only adding to that in the last couple of years with the Premier League and the Champions League. But in terms, 
when you see someone wear that armband for Liverpool, the captaincy armband, from your perspective as a supporter, do you feel that that person then has a bit of extra responsibility given the history, the stature, the expectation of the club? Yeah, I do. Um, particularly in the in the case of Jordan Henderson, who you know had the unenviable task of taking the captaincy off of Steven Gerrard. Maybe that weighed down on his shoulders slightly to begin with, um, but he's really grown into that. And it's, I think Liverpool fans see, take a lot of pride out of seeing him grow into the armband. Um, and now, you know, becoming the first Liverpool player to win, to, to captain the uh, team to the Premier League title. Um, I think he's very underrated um, outside of certain circles. Even Liverpool fans themselves, um, maybe didn't see him as the heir to the Steven Gerrard throne, so to speak. But, you know, just someone who, who gives gives their all and I think sort of a, a standard bearer for the for the levels that a, a team like Liverpool require week in, week out. It's interesting that you said that he grew into it because that was a question that I asked Michael when I was talking to him earlier about the Manchester United side. And I was saying about Harry Maguire and does he feel that Maguire can grow into the armband? Because for me, I'm as a neutral and I'm watching Man United play, I'm a little bit unsure about Maguire in terms of the captaincy and the leadership. And you talked about it there with Jordan Henderson and growing into it. And he certainly, it wasn't without its speed bumps, let's say, or its bumps in the road. You know, there were, as as you talked about, you mentioned there in passing, there were certain circles that didn't rate him. There were certain circles that wanted him out. But in all fairness to him and credit to him, in terms of work rate, in terms of desire, in terms of just wanting to be better and wanting to lift Liverpool and certainly a captain that epitomises by his work rate. And I think as a, as a supporter going in, if your team play well and don't win, it's a little frustrating. But if your team give everything and it just doesn't go your way, and an example of that would be the Atletico Madrid second leg, you know, people put that down to Simeone mm-hmm. masterclass. It wasn't Liverpool just didn't score. They battered Atletico and just missed the target. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, our black had the absolute game of his life. Yeah. Um, but look, you know, I mean, talking about Harry Maguire, um, I was only having a conversation with one of my co-hosts uh, the other day that he's a very good defender, but is he a leader? And I'm not quite sure he's a leader just yet, um, because you know, as much as I, I don't like Manchester United, they are a massive club. Um, and you know, going from Leicester to Man United is, is, is huge. And like John Henson, going from Sunderland to Liverpool is is, is just as a, a big step. And yeah, I, I think Maguire will grow into. It. Obviously, he's, he's done some silly things over the last couple of months, which haven't helped the situation. Um, but you know, he's, he's still got plenty of time now, I think, to to become a leader for that back four because God, they need it at the minute. They're letting in goals left, right, and centre. Yeah, big time. I think it's one of those things too, and I look back at maybe when Henderson came in, Steven Jarrod was still there, and I think with it two years, maybe maybe three years that they played together, and I think Henderson seeing that, seeing how Gerard operated, seeing how he led by example, there's that famous um, interview that I seen. At times, Stevie wouldn't say too much, but on the pitch he would lead by example, and maybe Carragher in the change room would say a little bit more. So I think Henderson's benefited a little bit there of being brought in and seeing how the club runs and feeling the expectation and the weight of the fans, whereas Maguire's really came into a bit of a, a United team that's up, down, ever-changing 
and there's maybe mm. been no example there for him. Not to give him an excuse for anything like that, but I, I certainly feel that the Liverpool way, where the player was brought in and over a period of number of years, he's certainly grown into it and maybe even been taken under Stephen's wing a little bit, perhaps, of of what to what is expected maybe of a captain. Yeah, yeah, I would certainly agree with that. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that um, that Henderson was being sort of pimped out to, to for a move to Fulham. Yeah. In exchange for Clint, for Clint Dempsey, um, that was only back in 2012, 2013. Um, but, you know, he, he wanted to stay, and you know, he's he's reaping the rewards: uh, world champion, English champion, European champion, all in the space of 12 months. So, you know, I can't knock him, and, and the fans love to see that. You know, he's he's been derided, he's been yeah castigated. That ev- everyone, you know, even England fans, don't get what he does. Um, but you know, and I, I think he's starting to turn a lot of heads now. And I think you can't get a better person to learn from than, than Stephen Gerrard. I don't think. And certainly from the Liverpool perspective too, it you go back to the the, the near miss maybe with Gerrard and and the Premier League title, to Henderson being the one that that delivered it. And you look at Liverpool captains, you know, throughout the throughout the years and throughout the history and. Um, you know, Souness and Gerrard and on and on and it goes. But Jordan Henderson for maybe someone who maybe isn't talked about in terms of an amazing footballer, but he's in and around that category of a fantastic captain now after lifting the Champions League, lifting, as you said, you know, the World Club Cup, the Premier League, on and on it goes. And there, for any successful team, in my opinion, there has to be a leader and that leader has to epitomise maybe what that team's about and in terms of the work rate and the pressure and the desire Henderson's been fantastic really yeah I agree I think that what I think he's Klopp's voice on the pitch he Klopp has an idea how he wants his team to play how he wants his team to act and behave on the pitch and Henderson is that mouthpiece on the pitch he behaves like a captain um, and he he demands the levels that Klopp demands um, and that's obviously bearing fruit over the last the last 24 months or so yeah and just to finish off and um, this little bit of a conversation do you have a favorite memory of a captain's performance for liverpool i know you mentioned the fa cup is it the fa cup or do you have a, a different favorite memory maybe uh i think the overriding one would be certainly the 2006 fa cup final um you know two goals um, an assist and scoring in the penalty shootout. You can't ask for much more than that in, in what is, is arguably the biggest game um, in English football. It used to be, maybe not anymore. Maybe it's lost a bit of its glamour. But um, for, for certain people of a certain age, yeah, it have to be the the FA Cup final. But he's also, you know, scored a hat trick in a derby against Everton as well. That would yeah. be up there. Um, doesn't happen very often, especially centre midfielders. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a game he scored. Uh, couple at Old Trafford um, but yeah for me it'd have to be the FA Cup final all day long well Kenny I've, I've really enjoyed this chat um, about captaincy and appreciate you coming on the podcast today oh no worries thanks for having me on well Andy welcome back to the podcast it's been it's been a while but a month or so since I've had you on how's things things are good it's all good um, I'm off this week so um, I'm happy days with that yeah, you're loving life and ready to talk some football. hundred <laughs> percent, always. Always indeed. Well, Andy, the topic I want to talk about is captaincy and leadership in terms of football. 
obviously yourself you have a bit of experience there at semi-professional level both with Bangor and Ballyclare in the Irish Championship talk to me maybe a bit, little bit about your experiences being a captain the expectations on you and pretty much how you felt when you had to be a captain of a team both maybe on the pitch and in maybe in the changing room as well well I had I had experience um, of being a face captain at Ballyclare um, and then obviously when the captain wasn't wasn't available and when I, I was, I got that when I was about 20, 21, and I was quite surprised at that. And I, I felt, at the time, it's, it's a lot different being a captain at a younger age, uh, obviously due to experience. So me being a captain at Ballyclare when I was about 20, 21 was completely different um, to how I was a captain when I was a banger, um, which, which is obviously natural, you know, with your progression as a player and experience. Um, when, I was, when I was at Ballyclare, there was a lot of senior players in the team. And, you know, it was a, it was a wee bit daunting for me. You know, I, I wouldn't have said that I was a natural leader. You know, like that sort of, obviously I'm not saying I'm these players, but like a Roy Keane or a, a John Terry type, you know, who are natural leaders. And there was plenty of those in the Irish League, but I didn't ever see myself as a captain. Yeah. But the expectation, um, I just, when I was younger, I, I just, I was confident in my ability and I just made sure I played well. Um, regardless if I was captain or not, I was always a talker on the pitch. So, you know, helping players and, and telling them, giving them good information. So um, that's maybe why I was given the captaincy at times at Ballyclare, because it was a talker, even though it was young. Yeah. And I found that a lot of the senior players wouldn't have quite been as loud as me on the pitch. Yeah. Um, but in terms of, um, as I say, being an, an, a natural leader, I probably wasn't. But it was just my, I felt as if at the time I was quite consistent in my performances and I was quite loud on the pitch. And that probably helped. And to be fair, the senior players took to me and um, they respected me, as as did everyone. You know, I respected every player. But it didn't just because I was captain didn't mean any, anything else. There was a lot of senior players in that in the Ballyclare team, and and it was a great experience for me. Yeah, maybe you were like a natural leader, but ever since I've known you, you've you've always been a worker. You know, you you keep yourself fit. You're in the gym. You're obviously at training. Do you think that played a part in it too? You know, a bit of like. like a, whether or not you mean to or not, it's almost like when Phil Neville went to Everton, he said he just trained really hard and he'd, he'd done what he'd done at Man United, that he kept himself fit even when he wasn't at the club. You know, training early, going to the gym, all that sort of stuff. Do you think that maybe played into a little bit as well? I would, I would say so. I'll, I'll be honest. And when I was younger, I was at university and I wasn't, don't get me wrong, I didn't ever go out drinking or anything. I got, you know, two or three days before a match. But... I wasn't quite as committed as I was when I was a banger, you know, when I sort of matured and left uni and sort of understood what it, what it required to be, even at the level I was at, um, to consistently stay there. So when I was a bully player, I always trained well, always worked hard, but probably didn't do loads off the pitch. But I still didn't look out of place or anything like that. I was still fit and really willing to go. And when I was at training or during the match, I always tried to do extra and try to do, as you say, I, I did... I did go to the gym, I did keep myself ticking, but it wasn't quite as much maybe when I was 24, 25, when you mature a wee bit. When I went to Bangor, that's when I started taking football really seriously, you know, and uh, I think that my game went to a different level. As you say, um, that probably did help the fact that when I was made captain of Bangor, because I was committed, I started eating better, wasn't sort of drinking much alcohol and stuff like that. You're just, life changes when you're about 24, 25, I think, generally, and you mature as a person, and that probably did help, as you say, I've said before, I wasn't a natural leader, but there was a lot of different wee things that I did. 
And to be fair, with within Bangor's team, when I was there, there was a couple of couple of leaders in there as well. So it wasn't just me on my own. As I say, it was um, it was a good experience being a captain when I was younger and also when I was older because it was it was completely different. Well, that's something I want to ask you about. The fact you 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 done it when you were younger and then you were captain again when you were older. Did you find any? Obviously, there's differences because you've matured mentally and you've also matured, you know, maybe a bit more physically. You've grown in different things and you get smarter as you get older. You know what I mean in terms of your football brain and all that sort of thing. Obviously, it was different, but was there any difference maybe in terms of your own expectations from what you wanted to do as a leader from maybe the first time to the second time? That's a good question. Like I think that when I was younger, I didn't really understand fully what it meant to be a captain. I just played the game and loved the game and was young and you know was so confident in my ability and, and just went out and played consistently and done well. And uh, as I say, I was, I was talking. But it didn't really, it didn't have any of those moments in the change room where I was like, you know, a big speech or anything like that. I don't really think that happens too often now. Um, I was ne- never, I would give information in the change room the same as any other player. But I wasn't like a growler, you know, where I would be shouting at players or anything. I'd always try to give encouragement. And obviously if certain players weren't doing it, I would tell them. Like I, I wasn't, even when I was young, I was like that. But I was never, you know... When I was younger, it was a wee bit different because I probably didn't understand what was fully required and the responsibility behind it. Um, but when I went to Bangor, I tried to become what I expected a leader to be, which was helping the young players, um, being a good influence in the around the change room, you know, obviously talking to the board and that type of stuff, um, talking to the manager, doing me things within the community and stuff like that. That all came when I was older and I understood the importance of, of that for the club as a, as a whole and your influence as a, as a captain when I was younger. I didn't really understand that. Um, I just went and played football and was, I, was, I was the captain. It was great. But it didn't really mean... It, it didn't, I don't mean to say it didn't mean anything to me. It was just it was, I was just there playing football anyway. And it was great that I was a captain, but I just played football. Whereas when I was older, I started to understand I, ha- I had more responsibility and I had to motivate players and help players and stuff like that. So it was completely different. Well, as you're saying there about the responsibility factor, I want to really touch on on that topic. How important is a captain or a leader in a team? Now, we, we, we talked about it with, with Michael earlier in the podcast, and you know, not every a team might have two or three leaders, but there's only obviously one captain, which is good. You know, you have to, we, we're going to talk about Chelsea in a bit. You talk about those great Chelsea teams with John Terry and Drogba and Lampard. You, you'd have probably a couple of people who are quite vocal in changing room and leaders maybe on and off the pitch but how important is a team to have a leader and a captain someone who can consistently be relied upon i i think it's vital and i think it'll never go out of fashion i think there's been some sort of i remember pep guardiola you know maybe said that the players would pick the captain and all that type of stuff and there have been a number of captains i've seen of different sports and stuff like that for me there has to be someone as the captain and then within that there always has to be three or four other leaders and then you've got a couple of match winners and a couple of different types of players and you have that real um, continuity within the squad but as a, as, a, as a captain there needs to be someone that players can go to there needs to be a link to the, the manager there needs to be a link to the board and even the fans at times um, I think the importance of a, of a, a really good captain um, if you have one it, it, it shows you know a lot because if you look at even the likes of Vincent Company leaving Man City, John Terry leaving Chelsea for a while there, those types I know they're exceptional leaders and captains, but even at our level, 
when certain, you know, the few and far between at times, especially now. But when when you don't have one, or the, or the manager doesn't have a leader within the squad, it shows. There, you could have as many good players as you want, but you also need to have someone when things are going wrong that they're going to go in the trenches with you as a as a player, and they're going to lift the players. Um, and usually, when there is senior players in the squad, you'll have three or four players trying to get the team going. But a, a, a captain will always generally come through in terms of consistency and that real desire. And I I think that will never go out of fashion. And it ha- I don't think that um, it can be understated how important a captain is and a leader in general. No, I completely agree with you. I think you used the the example of Man City, and it's something to agree with. And Pep with the you know the five team captains or the play or sorry it wasn't the five it was that the players picked the captain and then it was Unai Emery said he had five captains and they would yes, ro- that's rotate, right. that's ro- right. that's rotate the rotate the armband and all this sort of stuff. And it was to me I'm sort of looking at it and going I don't I don't like that you know there can be five leaders maybe in a team you know as you've talked about throughout the team but you still need your your captain your vice captain and all that sort of thing in my opinion I think you're right with it it shouldn't and it probably won't go out of fashion for you you're a Chelsea fan as well so I want to talk about a little bit about John Terry and maybe the legacy he has at Chelsea not just maybe as a player but as a captain and a leader I think it's I can only go off by what his performances were and then say interviews from himself and how he presents himself on the club and also you know interviews that as, as players you know I, obviously he's retired now and stuff so players talk about him and for, from a I think the most important thing for a captain is to be consistent in your performances week in week out and I think that John Terry was that aside from that he was every single week pretty much he was excellent with his aggression, his determination, you know, his leadership in terms of talking to the players on the pitch, he was loud. He was the perfect captain, you know, and as as, as everyone knows, there's they're few and far between now. Very, very difficult. Everyone's looking for that captain and that real leader. Even at our level, at, you know, in the teams that I've played in, there, there isn't very many proper leaders, um, whereas in the old Irish league, uh, league there was. And it's sort of like one out of fashion throughout the whole of football. And I think John Terry, um, he was the perfect type of captain in terms of on the pitch and off the pitch, you know, with the players and stuff like that. You could tell the players really respected him and, and what he'd done for the club. He was he was unbelievable. And you can't really replace that. Let's be honest, you can't replace that. He's one of those players you can't really replace. You know, even Arsenal's always a favourite go-to of mine for in terms of a leader and a captaincy sort of talk because I know Henri is Henri. But really, since Vieira, I would say maybe some people might disagree with me here. But really, since Vieira onwards, you've re- I've really found Arsenal are kind of all have been searching for that leader, and it's really shown maybe, especially in their in their league performances when it's when it's about as you just talked about being consistent. I think that's where it's shown. And even since John Terry's left Chelsea, yes, there have been other successes in the Europa League and the FA Cup and and whatnot. But to me, that's still somewhere that maybe Chelsea haven't replaced. And I think that's sort of vital to a team going forward. And when you look at Liverpool and how Henderson has maybe grown into captaincy, I think, you know, there's that's part of the reason there's a bit of a gap here and maybe in the Premier League. Yeah, definitely. And I think if you, if you give Henderson as an example, Henderson is the captain of the club. As you say, he's grown into it, but you wouldn't say he would be a natural leader. He's just very, very determined, works really hard, does everything the right way. But he wouldn't go down in the class of, say, like a John Terry, Tony Adams, you know, even a Vittich type, you know, that type of thing. He just is such... And that, that's where I think a lot of the captaincies are going. It's to, towards players who are really fit and determined and work hard and 
um, obviously say the, the right things outside of the club. And he is a good captain. He's, he's been excellent for Liverpool, but it's different. Um, it's, it's a different type of captaincy that's happening now. If you even look at Chelsea, like Thiago Silva came in on Saturday. Or he, he played in the last match there, and he was the captain instantly. Do you know what I mean? That, and that, he is a he is a natural leader, but it just shows you that the lack of leadership, I suppose, and, and within the Chelsea squad, there's a couple of players in there, but you wouldn't even say Jorginho is a proper leader. Now I'm talking about these players as if I know what they're like behind the scenes, because you don't. But just by the look of the player and how he presents himself on the pitch, uh, Chelsea are lacking it. I think there's so many teams within the within the Premier League or lack of a leader, and it doesn't need to just be a centre-back, it can be throughout the team, but it's it's a completely different game now, I suppose, and I think, I would say as well, it's a subtle thing, I think that players generally, I don't know if people agree with me here, are softer, they'll work hard and stuff like that, but in terms of like the aggression and determination, it's and the game's a wee bit more, you can't really go into those tackles the way you used to be able to, and kids don't play in the street as much, they're all very, very well coached, constantly coached, technically gifted, but there's not that real, I don't know, it's, it's 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 sort of hard to explain. There's no real bite at a younger age, naturally. I, I don't know whether or not this is the way it is, but that, I suppose, is a bigger discussion. But um, there isn't that constant conveyor belt of leaders and, and, match, and, and winners, natural winners, uh, coming through in the game, I suppose, throughout the world. No, I agree with you. Um, it was actually very interesting that, that you've said that because it was something that I heard Carton Cole in an interview yesterday and he was being asked about the Deli Alley situation and Mourinho and all this type of thing. And Carton Cole said, Mourinho coaches men. Mourinho doesn't put his arm around boys and try to sort of cajole them to play better. You know, he wants men who are going to tackle, who are going to work hard, who are going to run through walls. And he feels, he says, obviously he's looking in from the outside, probably the same way we are. But having been under Mourinho, I know he didn't play too much, but seeing him work and seeing him manage, he sort of said Mourinho's made his mind up is what it looks like to him that I'm going to have to constantly maybe babysit, put my arm around this lad here to bring him up, and I'm not about that. And it seems to be really what way they're going there. So, according to Carton Cole, it almost sort of similar similarities to maybe what you just said, but there's two things you did say that I want to, that I want to bring up, but you talked about something, and it's, it's sort of a question I have for you, was when Mourinho won the league with Chelsea, the second and his second spell at the club, you know, we brought in Diego Costa, he brought in Fabregas, Felipe Luis, and all summer it was about the striker, the centre mid, and the left back. I know Luis didn't play as much as everyone thought he probably would, but one of the signings for me, I thought, was Drogba, just having that presence in a changing room. And it's a question I want to ask you about, even maybe at your level and the semi-professional level in the Irish League and stuff. There might be a captain in a team, but we've talked about the importance of other people in the team who are leaders and who might speak up at the changing room or encourage a team or lead by example how important is that as well for a team well it's again it's it's vital i think that um you'll find that the, the teams who are successful will have you know three or four natural leaders in their team anyway um you know if obviously if you look in the past say i, I give arsenal as an example you had adams and vera you know those, those types of players instantly there's two captains there instantly um, but as I say, you've got if you have other players in the team who are pretty much captains, then you've the manager he can just say right, this is what we need to do, and then he can sort of like let the players work away on the pitch, and they can sort of it on the pitch. It's when you have someone like um, like Drogba, 
John Terry, Ashley Cole, McAlealy, Essien, um, all those types of Lampard, like you've Czech Ivanovic. These are all players obviously played different periods for Chelsea, but these are all players who are, who could easily be captains for their team. Um, I've probably missed some players. Um, it helps the captain also because it, it's not always them coming from the same person constantly. And I always find the best teams that I've played in, the change rooms are allowed. And I don't mean even before the match, you come in, there's a bit of crack. Um, lads are having a bit of a laugh with each other. And they can also call each other out. And you'll find that in a good change room, you will have players who are maybe mates, but they will call each other out. You're not doing this and you're not doing that. The worst teams that I ever played in were teams who were quiet in general. You know, they're all nice lads, but they're just quiet in general. There's no real crack. But when things were going wrong, they wouldn't call out each other. And I know that's an old school thing. And the modern coach, I don't know if it's going down that way, where they don't really like that. But I, I felt when I played in the most successful teams I played in, um, players called each other out. And I feel as if when there is leaders like that, well, we've talked about three or four national leaders in the team, they will do that. And if you're a, if you're a winner, um, if you look at that Chelsea team, for example, pretty much the whole squad were winners. And there was no messing about. If you if you weren't determined and you weren't a winner, you wouldn't be in that in that change room and you would get out, out alive. And I think that that's, if you, the most successful teams are like that. And that's from my experience as well, at actually league level, where it's a lot lower level. But um, there were players where we you didn't if you made a mistake or you did something wrong or you weren't working hard enough in training you were, you were called out and that's all part of it I, I agree with you you know even the level I played at which is a lot even way lower than where you even played in the Irish League and I always find that I responded better to you know the classic boot up the backside rather than the, you know the sort of the arm round treatment and I I genuinely feel that it, it is needed, and I agree with you, your point earlier about maybe the game's changing and it's not going that route. I, I think it is, and to me it's it's going to change that way for, in a bad way, in my opinion. But, you know, something else you talked about earlier, like Thiago Silva coming in and he, and he was captain of Chelsea in his first game, and that's obviously down to the level he's played at, who he's played with and the experience and stuff that he has. So for the final question for you, if a team is maybe lacking a bit of a leader, you know, we've talked about Chelsea and as, as we said, we don't know what it's like behind the scenes. We don't know what the lads are like in the change room. You can only judge from what you maybe you see in the TV or whatever. But when a player comes in that has that sort of experience, is it right to give him the armband right away if he's a leader? Because I know some dress rooms might not take to that and others will. Um, I'd just be curious maybe on, on thoughts on, on that sort of topic. You know, Thiago Silva, I'm not even sure if he speaks English. But maybe some like Hard Beverland when he talked to me, he talked about Colin Coates and said it was the presence that he had. And I'd be curious more so in your opinion on maybe a new signing coming in. Harry Maguire, for example, at United, he was captain after three months. If a team's really lacking a leader, can that lift a change room or can that also bring down a change room or is it really club depending? Well, I think if you're any type of player and any type of, of if you're a winner, naturally, but you're maybe not a leader. You can, if you if someone comes in who you know has natural um about natural leadership skills, and you know that they can help you on the pitch, it, it wouldn't affect me personally. Um, if I knew someone came in and he 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 was someone like Thiago Silva, you you just have to be like he's a he's a top player, world class, obviously coming towards the end of his career, but you understand the influence that he will have on the dressing room. So if you're any any type of player where you don't have an ego and you're all about the team and you understand why the manager would do that, then you wouldn't have a problem with it. If you're 
and you will generally find that within a, a group of a, a good change room of winners and people good good people if you've got a an ego driven change room the manager may have to maybe think about it you know it, it might upset the apple card and you know it, it's, it's very very difficult it goes case by case I think that uh, there's no. I, I'm happy with Lampard doing that because we don't. I think once Thiago Silva settles in, obviously he made a mistake on Saturday, but that happens. I think the the players will take to him, and he'll show on us as we talked about consistently, a consistency and aggression and determination and going winning headers and going winning tackles. The players will feed off that, and I think that as I say, if you're any type of player, you'll understand the manager's decision, and if you're not, then you'll 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 make it difficult, and you're not a team player, and you don't deserve to be in that dressing room anyway. We totally agree with your points there, especially you know regarding Chelsea and stuff. And if you are a team player and someone comes in with the obvious leadership experience and, you're, and the team is struggling for maybe a bit of direction, a bit of guidance, you know it makes sense, doesn't it? Just to go with the proven quality. And you talked about Thiago Silva's his CV or his resume, whatever way you want to word it, speaks for itself. But and they have really, really enjoyed this quick fire chat with you, and I'm actually quite keen to get you on to do a proper one-to-one about your bit of your career now and get a bit more in detail with some of this stuff. I'll be, I've, I've enjoyed that. I was enjoyed that one. It was good. Thanks very much. No worries, mate. Appreciate it as always. Thank you for listening to the podcast with me, your host Darren. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the Podcast. Thanks for your time. Stay safe and tune in next time.